One of the things that we are naturally burdened for when we come to prayer are those things that are near to us. And when I was reading over this portion, I was just encouraged by the, the burden that Abraham had in this particular passage when he, when he looks at what God is telling him, when he hears what God is telling him he is going to do, and yet even though there's, there's, there's this sense of a renewed vision of God's intentions, a renewed expression of God's covenant love, and renewed even expressions like new sort of details about what he is going to do, yet he doesn't like lose sight of others that are under his care. And I speak specifically of Ishmael when God is focusing Abraham upon what he is going to do. In verse 18, Abraham said unto God, All that Ishmael might live before thee. And when you read that, there, there may be a sense in which, well, Ishmael's already here, Lord. Don't be too bothered with some other plan. Don't, why, 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 can't, why can't Ishmael be the fulfillment of, of all your intentions? But, but what's interesting is, it's neither that nor some, some just kind of exasperated expression. It's a, it's a prayer. It's a longing. Verse 20, As for Ishmael, I have heard thee. I have heard thee. So Abraham maintained a burden for Ishmael. It's not that he is thinking less of what God intends to do. His heart must be filled with a sense, you see it, the, the, the laughter, the joy that comes into his heart when he thinks about what God is saying. He is overwhelmed with a sense of, I, I, it, it, you know, that God is going to do this. But he doesn't lose sight of Ishmael. Sometimes that happens. It happened to Jacob later on. In some ways, it happened to Jacob. With uh, the birth of Joseph and later Benjamin, there really was a focus upon them that there would be an argument for an unhealthy balance in his affection toward them versus the other sons that God had given to him. And that can happen. We We can have an unbalanced view even of the children that God gives to us. But Abraham says, or as we know from the response in verse 20 from God, he is praying, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. So, as I read over that, and then to God's answer to him in verse 20, as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget and I will make him a great nation and so on. I just was thinking about the idea of God hearing. God hearing. Here he is offering a prayer, and God says, I have heard thee. And so I'm just taking those words, I have heard, and looking at it very simply with you as we come to pray this evening. First of all, God hears prayers for our homes. He hears prayers for our homes. You see it exemplified in this very passage when he is bringing Ishmael before God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee, and God says, I have heard. Now, you can take verse 18 and the language of Abraham in that scenario, and you can put in there the matters that relate to your home and your family. There is that sense of, God, don't forget about Ishmael. Don't forget and that's what we do in prayer sometimes. We, we bring a matter and we say, Lord, remember. Remember. It's funny language when you think about it. Because 
if we know who God is, we know he doesn't forget. It's not like he's absent-minded, so we're aware of that. And yet it's language we find all over Scripture, and you remember, recall perhaps uh, most famously the, the thief on the cross when he says, Lord, remember me. So we, we're calling upon God, remember, remember. And that's what Abraham's doing here. Don't, don't, be, don't be forgetful or unmindful of Ishmael. Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. God, be merciful to Ishmael. Be merciful. So you have your burdens for your home, for your family. Some of it is right in your home, under your roof. Some individuals may be beyond, outside. Children who have left and gone elsewhere. Parents that are elsewhere. Whatever the relationship might be. But you have, you have people and you could say, this is my home. And you pray. And you should pray. And it is right for you to pray. And to pray in language like this, put them before God. And say, all that X, Y, or Z might live before thee. God, don't forget. Don't forget them. It wasn't the first time Abraham had prayed for Ishmael. But in the middle of this discourse, in the middle of this interaction and communion between Abraham and God, 13 years have passed, and he is, he is saying, Lord, don't, don't forget Ishmael. So you pray for your homes as well. Pray for them. This place, this very room should be a place that echoes with, with the, the heartbeat that emanates from the people of God for those who don't know how to pray for themselves or haven't the wit to do so. We're not to gather together and say, well, at least I'm not going to hell. And be content. God willing, we'll come to it on Sunday night. A passage in Luke 16. The rich man. Lazarus. And what? When the rich man realizes that he can't get out of hell, where does his mind go? It goes to his house. His five brethren. Lord, I have five brothers. Send a message to them lest they come to this place of torment. So, God hears prayers for our homes. Be encouraged. God says, as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. I have heard thee. Well, you're not going to get that answer if you're not asking. So if you ever want, you say, well, how do I know if it's God's will? Listen, just pray. You pray. Because you don't get an answer like this unless you ask. You receive when you first ask. So the asking must proceed. The response of, I have heard, follows the request, the burden expressed. God hears prayers for our homes. Beloved, I want you to feel at home here to bear before God the burden of your family. Secondly, God hears our prayers for His house. He hears our prayers for his house too. In 1 Kings chapter 9, we have a similar expression found there, if you want to flip over there, where Solomon, of course, is in interceding before God. 1 Kings 9. 
And 1 Kings 9 verse 1 it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire which he was pleased to do that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon and the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. You can go on and read encouragement that Solomon receives. But, but here Solomon is praying for the house of God. He's not praying for his home. He's praying for the house, the house of God. And he's interceding for it. He has, he has gone to all this effort to bring to fruition the burden that his father had and all sorts of, of energy and planning and effort has gone into bringing this to pass. But it's not just... <laughs> Solomon knows. He has enough wisdom to know The walls aren't enough. It's not enough just to have the structure. We need the presence of God. And we need the reassurance that even when we depart, when we leave, when we backslide, as it were, when we turn to sin and away from God, we need the reassurance that God will hear the penitent heart. So he's appealing to God, please, oh God, be in this place. And when we turn away, when we sin, if even one, if even one turns their face toward this place, hear thou in heaven. That's his request. Hear in heaven. And so you have, you have, you have, you know, men like Daniel, they're not even in Judah. And they're opening their windows, as it were, and turning their face toward Jerusalem, in, in part because of what Solomon had said and what God had said. In answer to Solomon's request, if someone even turns their face toward this place, hear, Lord. So he hears prayers that relate to his house. And again, it's not the walls, don't get me wrong. Solomon wasn't thinking about just the building. It's what the building represents. It's what happens in the building. It's who meets in the building. It's who should be there. And what occurs and transpires. Worship of God, the assembly of the saints, the glory of the Lord's name. And so he gets the same response I have heard. I have heard. I've heard thy prayer, Solomon. I hear prayers. Yes, he hears prayers for our homes, he hears prayers for his house. Turn to 2 Kings. 2 Kings 19, where we learn that he hears prayers for help. 2 Kings 19. Now, Hezekiah is under great, great affliction here. He's, the Assyrians are coming against Jerusalem. Rabshakeh is before him and Sennacherib. And you have Hezekiah's prayer in verse 14 and following. We'll read from there. Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, 
which dwells between the cherubim, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord, our God, I beseech thee, save thy us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. So that's his, his burden. And what does... What's the response? Verse 20, Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, That which thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. Need help? Call upon God. So Hezekiah did. There are times when we are faced with a difficulty, when we are confronted with maybe even what we might term an impossibility. And we don't know where to turn. We don't know what to do. And you need to learn to abandon all your, all your ideas. You need to abandon all your dependence upon your skill to work it all out. And you need to learn to pray for help. Pray for help. I mean, think of it. When, when, you're, when, you're, when you're king, everyone is looking to you to do something, to come up with some idea. You have courts of wise men and counselors. People at your bidding you can call on and fill a room with all the wise men of the nation. Just snap your fingers. What should we do? And even with such resources as that, Hezekiah knows we need the Lord's help. Now, you don't have the same resources Hezekiah has, naturally, and yet you're... (laughs) You're, you're, you're prone to try and figure out your own problems, to just say, I'll figure it out. I'll find some way. You lose your job. What, what's the first thing you do when you lose your job? Well, you start looking to see what jobs are available. You'll figure it out. Just, you look at it. You look at all the, you know, the listings and so on. And you start applying. And you can do that without so much of a single prayer. God, help me. Or setting aside time to seek God and say, Lord, I can apply all day long, but, but you're the one that provides. You can, drop, you can drop a job out of the sky to me. Like. And so you can go to the places that, where all the jobs are listed and you can go and look at them all and say, I, I, could, I could do that and I could do that. And you circle them and you make a note of them and you copy and paste and you... Figure out what's needed and get your resume in. So you can do it all. You can do all of that. And the person who gets all, falls on their knees and says, Lord, I need work. 
I need a job. I need employment. I need to put bread on the table. And he heads out for a walk and bumps into someone he hasn't spoken to in a way. How you doing? Well, I'm out of work, looking for a job. Oh, what? In what kind of work? And they start telling them, say, you know, <laughs> I, I just might know something that would just be perfect for you. And it all gets worked out. I'm not making, I'm not just making that up, you know. I've lived it. I've lived it. My own, my, I've lived it. Seen it. Cry unto God and see what God will do. So that's what Hezekiah does. He, he cries out to God. God hears our prayers for help. And then God comes and says, I have heard. And you, you, you get these, these little opportunities to see how God has, has heard that specific prayer. And, and, then you, and then you realize, well, it wasn't me. I wasn't, you know, doing everything that I'm meant to do. I just, I was praying. And I say meant to do. It's like what, what the uh, career counselors would tell you to do. Now, I'm not saying don't go and apply for jobs. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying I'm going to get on my knees and pray and not apply for any jobs. And I'm going to go, you know, walk for 15 miles a day and hope I bump into someone who can offer me a job. I'm not saying that. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm trying to encourage you to put God first in the problem. Bring him into it and wait before him. God hears our prayers for help. Sometimes, like we thought of on on Sunday, I mean, there, there are different ways God responds. Sometimes there may be a delay. But he, he does hear. That's the point. I have heard. I have heard. That's what he says. Finally, God hears our prayers for health. He does. You go, you go to the next, to Second Kings chapter 20. Again, Hezekiah. Of course, it's not always like this, but I, I just want you to see the different ways in which these are legitimate, these are legitimate contexts in which to pray. It's not wrong. So Second Kings 20, and Hezekiah, we read in verse 1, is sick unto death. And again, Isaiah is coming to him to tell him, set thine house in order, verse 1. And you come to verse 5. Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee on the third day. Thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord. So these are legitimate prayers. I'm not saying every single prayer offered within each context will have the desired outcome. What I am saying to you is when we gather on a Wednesday night and you're trying to figure out what on earth should we pray for, here are some things in which we have a record from God's Word, God hears prayers in these contexts for our homes, for His house, for help, for health. It's not wrong for us to pray in that way. Now just before we close, there's another thing if you read and you go through your 
your Bible and you try to find, where does it say God has heard, I have heard? There's another thing he hears. And so this comes just as a the warning shot. <laughs> twice we're told. Twice this language is also used regarding the children of Israel. That he hears their murmuring as well. One is in Exodus 16 verse 12. I'll just read it to you. It says, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. And then Numbers 14, 27. How long shall I bear with this evil generation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me. So, what would you like God to hear from you? Prayer for your home, for his house, for help, for health even, or to hear your murmurings. Your murmurings. Because you can murmur about the very things you should be praying about. Instead of praying about them, you're murmuring. You might even think your murmur is a kind of a prayer. <laughs> it's not. You're just murmuring about it. You're just complaining. Complaining about your health, or complaining that you have no job, or complaining that something's not going right in the family, or whatever. Pray. Pray. I have heard. How many ears hear our sorrows? And yet they do not come into the ear of God in the form of prayer. Shouldn't be. So, may the Lord help us. Just before we sing, I want to read a little portion to you. Again, just taking little sections of, of encouragement from church history, especially what he has done to encourage his people in the past. And so this is, this is uh, the, the first great awakening, the outpouring of the Spirit of God in the 1700s on these shores. And this little portion I'm reading is about a man by the name of Parsons. He's a minister. And uh, a few details given of his early experiences and uh, even some, well, I'll not get into it, but he, he, he's, this is noted. It talks about 1740, when revivals, independently of each other, were beginning to appear in various parts of New England. Then he informs us, quote, It pleased God to strengthen and enlarge my desires, after the increase of Christ's kingdom. i just let's stop there. It pleased God to strengthen and enlarge my desires after the increase of Christ's kingdom. Have you ever felt a swelling up of desire, an increase of desire for the kingdom of Christ? In which where you, like, I wouldn't, I don't look at any of your faces and think you don't care about Christ's kingdom. Right? That's not what I think. And I hope you look at me and you think the same. But, but th- those desires can be inflamed. Those desires can be taken to another level. And that's, that's what this man is saying God is doing in his heart and life. And to stir me up to more ardent endeavors after the eternal welfare of immortal souls. The news of Mr. Whitfield's rising up with great zeal for holiness and souls had a great influence upon my mind. 
He's seeing what God is doing. He's like, oh, Lord, come here, do it in me. In March 1741, he visited Hartford to learn on the spot what he ought to believe concerning the surprise operations there, what God was doing, concerning which the country was full of reports. He returned, believing it to be a work of God. On his return, he received letters from Dr. Coleman giving an account of the labors of Tennant, William Tennant, and their happy influence. All along, as he gathered information, he imparted it to one and another as he, he had opportunity. And by this, you know, sharing what God is doing, and other means, his people, quote, were more generally roused up to bethink themselves and converse about religion, end quote. At last, March 29, he preached from Isaiah 60, verse 8, Who are these that fly as a cloud? And as the doves to their windows. His object was to rectify mistakes and give a correct history of the work of God that was begun in the land. This sermon, especially its application, had a greater visible effect upon his audience than he had ever before witnessed. Indeed, there were no outcries but a deep and general concern upon the minds of the assembly. Discovered deep and general concern upon the minds of the assembly. Uh, discovered itself at that time in plentiful weeping, sighs and sobs. Many told me that they never had such an awakened sense of the danger of putting off the grand concern of their souls to a future season before, as God gave them under that sermon. They were surprised at their own past carelessness and astonished that God had borne with them so long. <laughs> so God is calling down upon this sermon and everyone's like, why have I been so careless? What is wrong with me? You see, that's, that's the thing about the deception of it. I mean, you can sit there careless and you don't know it until the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and all of a sudden, I have been careless. I've been living carelessly. And that's, that's, that's a spark revival. It's the breath of the Spirit right there. Early in April, Tennant arrived on his way home from Boston. He preached in the evening, seemed very dull, spoke with no freedom, and made only a feeble impression. Even the great preachers have their off days. Yet one of the communicants was convinced of sin, and in a few days apparently converted. The next morning he preached again, to a very attentive and deeply affected auditory. Parsons afterwards found the effects of this sermon to have been much more extensive than he suspected at the time. Tennant went over to Saybrook, and many from Lyme followed to hear him again. There he preached a rational, searching sermon suited to unconverted sinners and drowsy saints. <laughs> but little effect was manifest during the delivery. But some were very much enraged with the preacher afterwards. One man especially could not bear the sermon. It was so censorious. He talked against it incessantly and could not drive it from his mind till finally, quote, he was made to see that he was the very man to whose case it was suited above any sermon that, he, that ever he had heard. Then he notes this, Parsons notes, After this I observed that our assemblies were greater and more attentive at times of public worship than before. Sabbaths alone would not suffice for hearing sermons, but greater numbers still urged for frequent lectures. 
I was well pleased to observe such a flocking to the windows, and a hearing ear became general. Therefore I readily consented upon the request of the people to preach as often as I could, besides the stated exercises of the Sabbath. Once every week I carried on a public lecture, besides several private ones in various parts of the parish, the area. And I could not but observe about this time that an evening lecture I had set up the winter before in a private house for the sake of a young man that was a cripple, though at first exceeding thin, but seven persons as I remember besides the family, was now greatly increased and in about a month grew up to several hundreds so that I was obliged to turn it into a public evening lecture. A little house meeting turned into hundreds gathering to hear the word. Beloved, may the Lord give us a hunger for the outpouring of a spirit. Let's sing before we continue. <laughs> 